When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Bulls fans and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast presented to you by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to live your bet life. I am joined by my friend and yours, the, uh, I was going to call you the thriller in Brazil, but that doesn't really make sense, does it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's William in Brazil. How are you, sir? I'm good. Good eye, mate. I'm happy good to be mate. here. How's things? How's Brazil treating you, man? Things are good. We are shacked up in a little beach town now, which has been fun. You know, walking nice. around, getting some sun, laying in the sand. Pretty Ooh, much what wow. I could be doing in Chicago right now because it's supposed to be nice there. But, you know, yeah, I figured okay. I would spend a lot of money and fly down here instead. Fair enough. Very well. You live in the life. I can tell you that much. And apologies. I'm to living my bet life. Well, exactly. Exactly. Whilst it's nice where you are, Will, you're at the beach. You're, uh, like you said, living your bet life, living your best life. Um, if, if apologies to listeners, if you can hear um, wind in the background where I am, um, it is uh, it is blowing hard out here. So uh, if you can hear that, apologies. I'll try to minimize that in the post. But nonetheless, just uh, thought I'd let the listeners know. But William, we're here on a Friday, here to discuss the Chicago Bulls, our Chicago Bulls. But maybe more importantly, or maybe they, well, I guess it's importantly is debatable. We're he- we're here to discuss my favorite player in the world, Patrick Williams. Is he your um, favorite player? You've yeah, got obviously. Uh, like three more weeks before he turns 21. So I figure this is a good time <laughs> to have this conversation. Uh, well, look, we, we're going to be doing these shows weekly, you and I, an old throwback, let's say. And it's just ironic that the uh, the Patrick Williams conversation is somehow landed on our footsteps here. And um, it, it's ironic in a lot of ways. And in some senses, I've been um, cast, let's say, maybe by the way I've talked about him. And maybe the the way some people interpret the way I talk about him as a, as a Patrick Williams, Williams hater of sorts, which which isn't true, um, but nonetheless, we've got a a bona fide Patrick Williams fan on the on the uh, podcast today, and I say that because William, you have written a quite a nice piece up at the CHDO website, allchdo.com rather, on uh, on Patrick Williams on today on on Patrick Williams's floater, which we'll get into, as well as Jackson Frank um, wrote a nice. Uh, you know, probably more. You 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 were focusing purely on his on his jump shot and his floater and that weird aspect to his game, whereas Jackson Frank took more of a broad more broad approach to Patrick and you know how he fits into the Bulls going into year three. But it just happened to be that there were a couple of stories this week on Patrick. We thought today we'd talk about him. He's probably the most interesting piece on this Bulls roster going forward for a number of reasons. That of which we touched on last week when we were talking about continuity, continuity, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more today. But maybe we could start off today just. I guess you know you've obviously given us the written form, but maybe we can talk about the, um, you, you know, your story with Patrick Williams, the fact that he, you know, you spoke to him around his floater. Maybe you can talk us through that that story more generally. But I, what I'd be interesting to to hear, uh, you know, from the top at least, is like how did you get him to talk about that stuff? Yeah, so it was one of the first days that I was on the beat officially, and I think it might have, it must have been like a weekend practice because nobody was there, none of the other beat writers were there. 
And so I just had, you know, the, the PR kind of asks who the beat writers want to talk to. And since I was the only one, I got to choose. And so yeah. I had this idea kind of floating around because for the first two years of his career, I just was like so surprised to see that he was shooting this shot. Like even in those pre-draft workouts, which, which I linked some clips to, and like the first couple of games of his career, it just like whipped out this one-handed jump shot. <laughs> I was like, where is this coming from? <laughs> so I've always wanted to ask him about it. And I had the chance having that sort of one-on-one situation. Um, and he, yeah, I guess he was kind of like surprised about it too. Like, I don't think he assumed anybody would ever ask him about that. I don't even think, I mean, the whole thing seems like it was an accident. Like it just kind of came up out of nowhere. And so I think those are always the most interesting stories when you can just like see, kind of see how it's made, but not really, you know, there's not like a real recipe for it. I think a lot of it is just sort of feeling it out and art versus science sort of thing. Well, I mean, the recipe here is you're a hardworking beat writer when maybe some others, <laughs> I won't trust the others for not turning up, but in, be in, careful. Essence, <laughs> in essence, because you were there and you got to choose essentially the dynamic of the conversation, who you wanted to talk to. Um, you can say it's a happy accident type of thing, but at the same time, it's uh, it's hard work paying off. So you got a chance to speak to Pat and it was a really good story to read. Obviously, people haven't read it. Go up onto the website and read it. it it's an interesting quirky article it's 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 perfect it's perfect off-season content too right? i mean like this is the kind of stuff that i'm interested in reading in the off-season like how the random complete topics that you you would, wouldn't necessarily think about like there's no games to review there's no off-season transactions occurring right now there's no none of that munition are happening so like what can we learn about these players and it's that that was exactly what it was like how patrick came to be with this floater like it was, it was interesting um so that was quite yeah it was just it's it's weird how he's come to this, I, and I, I I'm not completely sure if I like this whole floater thing. Like it, to me, it kind of reminds me of that shot Larry had back in the day. Um, I can't even remember what you would call that shot that Larry sort of, um, you know, patented back in the day a couple of years back. But it's almost like it works, it's effective, but it looks so weird, and it looks it looks like it shouldn't work. That you kind of it's testing your ideals. It's testing your senses as to whether it's something that should continue or not, or whether, you know, opposing teams will ultimately eventually figure it out and find a way to stop it. But I mean, what are your, what are your general thoughts about the floater, its efficacy and, you know, whether it's something that Patrick should continue or should, is it something that he should slowly work out of his game and maybe transition to more of a, a, a typical jump shot where he's not shooting the ball with one hand. So that's, that's pretty much what it is. It's not really a floater. To me, it's a, it's a one-handed jump shot. Um, so it, it's it's not like something I've ever really seen before, but nonetheless, it's it's been effective. So on a lot of levels, I, I kind of don't know how to pass it all. Yeah, I think it's just one of those like weird quirks, like you said, that you just kind of have to appreciate because it seems like the kind of thing usually like people replicate moves they've seen before. Right. And then you have guys mm-hmm. like, you know, James Harden to to my own horn again here with the sidestep where he just like kind of yeah. made up his own move. Uh, mm-hmm. Or like, you know, MJ's fadeaway or whatever it may be, the skyhook with Kareem. Uh, these guys just like invent their own moves. But this, it's very unique that that happens, right? It's like once in a generation. Um, and so Patrick, like, doesn't seem like he really got this from anywhere. It was just like this thing that, you know, he tried to avoid getting blocked one time playing pickup and realized that he can palm a basketball like a Nerf ball and then sort of like move it around that way. It's almost like water polo where you're just like, you know, moving the ball around and then that kind of clears up the space for you to get the shot. Um, I don't really mind it. I should have looked back and seen what his percentages are on it and I can go do that and maybe update the story. But um, 
It is a little weird. I think maybe Demar might like mid-range jumper fade away that out of him at some point, maybe during this summer. But I think it's kind of fun, and you know, we'll we'll see. I think a lot of it's just going to depend on like how much he has the ball and how many shots he's creating for himself. Obviously, like you want to go all the way to the basket or you know get behind the arc. But I do think the way that defenses are built nowadays, they're giving you that mid-range space. And so if he's really competent with that shot and can take advantage of the space that the defense is giving him, like he should absolutely keep doing that. Yeah, I, I guess the, the oddity around it is the fact that like one of his patented moves, if we want to say that, or one of the moves that he routinely goes to is that mid-range jumper. Like he, he'll up fake, take a couple dribbles to the left and then you know settle into that jump shot. So it's not like he doesn't have that mid-range game somewhat as part of his game already. Like that's something that... Maybe he's a little too reliant on, you know, stepping into that mid-range jumper. Like he's often turning down threes and going into that mid-range jumper off the, or going left off the bounce a couple times into that mid-range jumper. So it's not like he, that's not something that doesn't already exist in his game, whereby he's had to create this move because he didn't have a mid-range jumper, as, as uh, so to speak. Like he, he's already got it. So that's 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 where it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But yeah, clearly what he's the reason why he can do this is the ball control that he has with his ginormous hands, which is why. I guess some people like to make the Kawhi comparisons, but yeah, I'm still I'm still going back and forth as to whether I like it or not. I suppose because it is weird, it's odd, and and in that sense, because it is weird and odd, and maybe teams aren't familiar with it, maybe that makes it effective because they don't necessarily know when when it's going to be deployed, when it's going to be happened, or when it's going to happen rather. So in that sense, it can work, but I'm just interested interested to see if if he keeps going to the well on this, if if defenses start you know game planning for it, like. Be careful of this dude potentially pulling up. He's not going to necessarily pull up for a standard floater. It's going to be a uh, a one-handed jump-up push-type shot. And, and in that instance, like, what is his counter to that? Like, that's going to be interesting to see. So, um, yeah, it's 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 an odd one, but it, it clearly oh, – I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it, it feels like it's effective even though it shouldn't be. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the oddity of it right there is that it's, like, such a strange thing. It's not like a floater where you're, like – kind of lower towards the ground and you're just like pushing a shot off before you gather mm. yourself and your feet yeah. are under you to like try to you know get the ball up and over a shot blocker's arm and it's also not like a you know fadeaway jump shot where you're creating space by moving backwards so it's kind of like weird and in the middle and he just kind of like challenges big men when they come up to block the shot he just like reaches the ball out in front of him kind of like mj space jam way and uh, just like moves it to the side so he can get the shot off. It's very weird, but um, definitely something I'm just going to keep watching out for because, yeah, it's like for one, it's just hard to miss because he's the only person I've ever seen do that. And for two, I do expect and we'll get into this more like the Bulls need to put the ball in Patrick's hands a lot more this upcoming year. And if they do that, they're probably going to see some more funky, weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that a little, a little bit later on. But I mean, just just from his reaction when you broached this topic with him, and again going inside maybe the the detail of the story of how or how the story necessarily came about, like was he taken aback by like the fact that you were even asking these questions? Because I'm, I'm tipping this is not a question he probably had received much before, if at all. So when you approached him, being the lone beat writer there on on a weekend practice, and then um, one requested to talk to him, but then started talking to him about this, you know this quirky floater slash jump shot that he has. Like, how did he react to you even bringing this up? Like, is he somewhat mystified by it all? A lot of players, when you ask them questions, they kind of have, you know, canned responses, um, you know, things that they know they're supposed to say. It's like, you know, we tried hard, we competed, blah, blah, blah. But when you actually like 
talk to a player about some of the stuff that they're really working on behind the scenes and like the stuff that they kind of geek out on too and stuff that like you know you can only see what happens in the games you don't see what happens in practice you don't see all of the hours that they spend watching film or studying game tape or x's and o's with an assistant coach or going through you know scouting reports or whatever it is like all these drills that they're doing you don't see any of that and so i think the sort of an area where I've found success writing stories about players is like really getting to understand some of the stuff that they work on and they get really excited to talk about it. So he was definitely, I think a little bit surprised, um, kind of laughed about it when he was like saying, I don't really know why I do this or how I came up with it. It just kind of happened. So, um, yeah, I think players are always the most responsive to, to those kind of stories and to those kind of questions. Yeah. And look, I, again, not to belabor the point, but like that, that's again, the interesting, another interesting element to this thing. Like it's, it just organically happened. Like sometimes you would expect like a player to have, you know, to, to have a, I don't know, a, a, not necessarily a game plan, but like an understanding as to why they've, they've gone to a specific move. Like for, let's take DeMar, for example, like his footwork is 99 percentile, not just based on the current players, but maybe all players who have ever played basketball. So, like, I would imagine he's put a lot of time in video and a lot of time on the court and a lot of time in analysis in terms of understanding, you know, the way Jordan, the way Kobe use their feet to get off shots in the mid-range, the way they can create that space. So, in that in that sense, you would imagine, like, that type of scenario is very calculated, whereas the, what we're talking about here with Pat is just, like, randomly happened. Like, it's just, it's just a... Uh, a phenomenon in that sense that just for whatever reason came to be. And it, it is, it is strange, I suppose that, that that can happen that way, that um, there's still aspects of basketball that can just happen randomly. And you can sort of find yourself um, walking into a, a, a shot that can be very effective. Like that's the cool thing about basketball, I suppose that there's still those elements that despite it being so calculated at times and, and so skill-based, sometimes these guys can just riff and all of a sudden they've, uh, they've, they've found a, a sweet little move. And that's like, that's always been true about basketball. Um, whether it's, you know, the Hakeem Olajuwon, Jordan sort of mid post fadeaway stuff that Kobe and DeMar and other players like that have replicated. It's all about just like creating space to get your shot off, right? Like that's hmm. really what it all boils down to is like the ability to get space so that you can get a shot. And if you're the best player and the defense is throwing their best defender at you, can you beat them? And the way to do that is to get space to create your shot. And so, you know, you saw in like the mid 2015, 16, 17 seasons when the NBA was like so obsessed with three point volume, it was like James Harden trying to figure out any way that he could to get behind the line to make sure that he wasn't taking a long two and instead taking a three. And that's where you saw like the step back become such a staple of his game and then just caught on like wildfire across the league. And so it's all these different ways where guys are just either knowingly or not trying to come up with ways to create space to get their shot off. And I think that's exactly what this was of Patrick just being like, I do not want to get blocked here. So I'm going to shift the ball away with my one hand and see what happens. And it went in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think what's going to be fun. Well, I mean, tracking Patrick Williams's development, you know, in this upcoming season is going to be, something that we're all doing, um, whether it's fans, whether it's us here on CHGO Bulls, uh, you know, Jackson Frank, as I alluded to before, wrote a nice story on Patrick and, you know, what he can and can't do, what growth he needs to have in his third year. So, like, more generally, we're going to be focusing on Patrick Williams's development. But now that, you know, you've tabled the story, now that it's a thing that's out there in the ether that people should be 
reading and noticing, I think it would be fun actually throughout this, this upcoming season if we start really tracking how, how he performs with this shot, assuming he continues to go to it. And I'm assuming he will, given that it's just become an innate part of his game. So uh, now that you've, like it's, all, it's, it's something that we all inherently had noticed in, in the past, but now that you've sort of documented it as such, I think it's something that will just be more in the back of our minds. Um, and then when we, when we do see it in game, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember one story. Did that, did that shot go in? And then we'll start like every game, <laughs> understanding how many times he does this. Like, And then we can start counting you know, how effective it was. I don't even know if you could pull data on this. Like, how, how would you be able to pull? Like, what would NBA.com be categorizing this shot type as? I'm assuming it would be a jump shot. But like, is there even a way to figure out how to <laughs> understand how effective it is? I think that was one of the unique things about it. It was like trying to do some research of counting these out and I just used floaters because that seemed like it was the closest, but mm. it really is in between so many different types of shots. Yeah. Like the, the idea of the story was like, this is not a floater because it's different from floaters in X, Y, and Z ways. It's mm. not a jump shot. Obviously there's one hand and there's other differences as well. It's almost got some like hook shot properties where you can imagine like turning over your shoulder and shooting that one handed sort of like jump hook. So I think it's just like one of those things that you have to manually count out because, you know, I was, I was looking into Second Spectrum and some of these other websites that track this stuff. I think NBA has removed their uh, shot type data, but um, nobody really has it. And to be fair, like nobody else is doing this kind of shot. So it doesn't seem like something they would be tracking even if they did have it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm just trying to. That's what I'm thinking about. Like, what would you even categorize a shot as? Like, if if there's someone in the background of, uh, I don't know if it's an algorithm or, or someone, literally in the background punching out. You know, player X did this move. I, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but if it is, <laughs> it, I guess it doesn't matter. Like, if it's human or if it's an algorithm, like, how the hell would you categorize? Like, to me, it kind of looks like a push shot, but it's not because it's like got that flicking motion. It's of a full shot, elevation then, too. Yeah, like he's at, he's at his peak. When he's releasing it, but it, but it's one handed, like it's it's yeah, it's just it's just weird. It's odd. It's it's cool, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you wrote this story, particularly and and it being released now. I think it's um it's nice content for us Bulls fans to di- to be digesting over the off season period, and and I hope everyone's read it. Do you want to plug it one uh, one last time, Will, before uh, we move on? Yeah, I wrote it on. We're recording this pre recording it on Wednesday night, so I wrote it and it's on the site today. Um, you can check it out at allchgo.com or I have it posted on my Twitter. But um, I think when this comes out on Friday, it might be a little bit buried. So I can maybe post that again when we uh, when we launch this episode. No worries. And I'll try to put that in the show notes of this podcast. Also, you don't have to let people know that we're pre-recording. They don't need to know that. We're just <laughs> giving away the uh, the allure of how everything happens in the background. Just like we wanted to know the inside details of Patrick Williams' work <laughs> ethic and jumper. They want to know what's going on behind the scenes with us recording the show. Something tells me, one, that's <laughs> Not false. quite the same. And two, yeah, that's not entirely remotely comparable at all. Uh, so, uh, yeah, anyways, let's let's move on. Let's move on to more productive things. William, you want to tell the listeners about points, but... You know I do, because the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you'll get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. But that's not all. If you make a $50 deposit for your first time, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which you can use to read my story. And we've got a ton of good Bears content with the season kicking off. Uh, the MLB trade deadline just passed. There's a lot of stuff on you know, the moves that the Chicago teams did not make. So you will get a membership to CHGO. 
which unlocks all of our web content and even get a free t-shirt from the CHGO locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and t-shirt from the CHGO locker, all for making a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. Um, so what are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, you don't just bet. Mark K from Australia, tell him what you do. You live your bet life just like William is in Brazil, just on the you know on the beach there. You can uh, be living it up in the sands, and whilst you're in the sands, you can be placing some nice, nice hearty bets there. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine anyone doing anything. anything nothing, else. That sounds like a perfect, perfect day to be honest with you. Nothing you want to do more than kick back on the beach with a drink, maybe, and <laughs> place some bets. Unfortunately, there is no points bet. It's points bet IL. You know, you can do right. it in Illinois. You can't do it in Brazil. So I. You know, I, I got to table my bets for now, but I'm I'm cooking stuff up. Some some parlays for October. Are wow, you know, and you can, I'm sure you can, you know, flick pack a message or a Slack or something like, you know, use my points bet account, lay down a fiver on this one or whatever it is. I'm assuming yes. you're only laying down a fivers because um, you, no, I'm assuming I'm, for whatever reason. I afforded be the, the, how do you think I afforded these tickets, man? I, I struck gold on the Warriors. <laughs> Fair, fair enough. That's well, yeah, I, I had some other. I did bet on the Warriors, sure but you're right. I uh, I bet five dollars on them. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But nonetheless, let's move on. We're going to continue talking about Patrick Williams. If you hadn't noticed already, this is a very Patrick Williams centric podcast. Whilst uh, before we were focusing on one specific, you know, very micro element of his game. To be fair, like let's let's expand the conversation now. Let's talk about. Maybe um, and maybe this relates more to what Jackson wrote about, just more holistically where where things are going with Patrick in terms of what he what has been. We all know that by now, um, but what happened? What's happening next? What, what's to come in year three, year four, and beyond? So let's talk next steps. Let's talk what he needs to do to improve. Um, we can take this a number of different ways. Obviously, there's a number of areas that he does need to improve on both sides of the ball. But I don't know. Where do you want to start? Will do you want to start on offense or defense? What do, what do you think is more important for? for Williams in terms of development? Do you, do you actually think it's on, and maybe this will lead us in terms of where we go, do you think his development on defense or offense is more important for the Bulls to take that next step as a team? That's a really tough question. I think it seems like he's probably more advanced as a defensive player, but I think he actually has a long way to go there, and he certainly has the tools. So maybe let's start there and then move into the offense because there's some, some juicy stuff there as well. But defensively, you know, when you... When the Bulls drafted this guy, they're drafting him six, seven forward with great athleticism, size, wingspan, all that stuff. Like they're drafting him and tree trunk thighs. Forgot to forgot to mention that. Um, they're drafting him to be like a big wing stopper, and you know he showed flashes of facilitation and mid range scoring, and hopefully they can develop him as an offensive weapon as well. But like his role is going to be like the Kawhi, LeBron, Paul George you know, big wing stopper. That's what he's, he's going to get thrown at Giannis in the playoffs. That's what happens. So, um, you know, there are some areas where I think he is really effective. And I think especially off ball when he's fully locked in and engaged and understands what's going on around him, which is another important issue for him is just like understanding the game and being fully engaged. But his weak side ring protection is really strong. And I think that's an area, especially with Vucevic, uh, sort of anchoring the defense, an area where he can be really helpful on the weak side. Um, but he, I think, has a lot of work to do on the ball. And we saw that a lot in the playoffs. Obviously, no one can contain Giannis. But uh, just getting over screens, knowing where to be, I think there are some some real areas for improvement on, 
on the defensive end for him as well. Yeah, look, uh, and I, I would argue personally, and this is just my opinion, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's not as relevant, um, but I think defensively is where, you know, if the Bulls as a team are to take that next step, what they need from Patrick, I think, and, and I think what's most feasible uh, and most, uh, you know, it's 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 not dependent on, on anyone else, let's say, whereas on offense, it is dependent on his role within the office. It's depending on how Billy wants to use him, who he's playing with, if he, is he playing on ball, off ball, all those sorts of things. There's more variables in there. Whereas, def, you know, on the defensive end, um, yes, there are other variables. Yes, he's reliant on teammates and those sorts of things and schemes and whatnot. But that's more something he can control. And to me, like, that's what needs to improve dramatically. And for a number of reasons, like we, you and I talked about last week around this concept around Lonzo proofing the roster and, and Lonzo proof, proofing the defense. And, and I was talking about a way of maybe keeping some of the ideals of their current, well, you know, current last season's uh, defensive mindset of you know being you know just just attacking everything from a passing lanes perspective, getting into transition, scoring that way. Maybe keep some of that, but if you scale it back a little bit, and you know you've got someone in the back line who you don't have to be so aggressive on ball to, to force those turnovers. You can be a little bit more conservative in, in how you, you defend ball screens because you know you've got someone like Patrick Williams behind you who can be that weak side uh, rim protector potentially. Like If he can really develop that more, we've seen flashes of it, and like that's the one skill I think he does have which projects to be elite. Um, I don't think there's other elements of his game that maybe – is a you know has the path to be elite, but I think as elite a weak side rim protector like that's really appealing, and specifically for this Bulls team as well. That you know I don't love their center rotation right now. I want to toy with the idea of Patrick being a five, a backup five, and the way that becomes more feasible is like can he be a a, a realistic rim protecting forward of sorts? And if he can do that next to Vooch, uh, you know theoretically that would be nice. But as, as a small ball center as well, like can can he do some stuff on the five, as a five? Like that's really appealing. It changes what the balls can do more generally. But then you know I think you're right in terms of like on ball reps. Like ultimately he's going to get a chance at those those big wings or even some you know even some guards potentially to to man up on them. And if he doesn't necessarily improve in that area in terms of his ability to guard on ball, then it becomes a, convers- uh, a conversation amongst the coaching staff of. Well, are we going to go with Patrick here or are we going to play someone like Caruso to close games? Because if Pat can't necessarily guard a big wing or if Pat can't guard Giannis, um, maybe to the to the point where he's less effective than someone like Caruso. Like Caruso got a lot of minutes on Giannis last season too. So if Pat can't show to be that defensive wing type that can play on a various, various assortment of bigger wings, then maybe, you know, more naturally that Billy will lean on like Alonzo or a Caruso to take those matchups and then we're in a scenario where Pat's not even closing games which is obviously not ideal in year three so to me the defense is where he needs to improve it's probably the most uh, important one to me it's the one that he can control the most and I think for that for this team to take that next step I think offensively you know we've got enough to be competitive it's really that defense ensuring that up and I think Patrick Williams is such a linchpin to that and the potential of that that that's kind of what I need to see him improve in year three yeah, I think for we'll know when Patrick Williams is good enough because the conversation will change to, you know, instead of does Patrick Williams, do we close with Patrick Williams or Caruso? It's, you know, who do we remo- remove from the closing lineup so that Patrick Williams can play? Because I think that's really where 
the Bulls need him to get to for them to sort of reach this next level. And we talked about continuity last week, and I think we're going to tie it all together here at the end. But like Patrick Williams is the key. And for him to get to that level where he is now like undisputed top three, four player on this roster, like that's kind of where he needs to get to. And I think, you know, just experience for a guy that young. And yes, he's still 20, not 21 yet. We're recording this on August 3rd. When you hear it, it'll be August 5th and he'll he'll have like two, three weeks to go. But like, he's a young player. He doesn't have a ton of minutes under his belt. And yes, he has some tools, but he really needs to like figure it out and understand NBA defenses. And I think he will. That's something that like, I'm less concerned about because it's just like a work ethic thing. And I think like, if you just spend the time understanding and learning and like, you know, understanding the basically the the trends and motions, like he'll be able to to get to that point where he can defend at a super high level given his physical tools. So I think he'll get there with more experience. Um, I love the idea of him as a five. I was super bullish on that on draft night when they took him. And I think you absolutely could see him closing some games instead of Vooch with Caruso and Lonzo and Zach and Damar, assuming those guys are healthy. Maybe there's some offense, defense stuff with Zach or Damar, whatever it may be. Like he, I think for the Bulls to be at their best, he needs to be in that closing lineup and playing at a really high level to where he actually deserves to be out there. Yeah, to me, like I've always thought of him as a four um, and I've always thought of him as someone who can scale up, not scale down. Um, right. I don't think he's a guy that you would put on a point guard. He's not a, he's not someone that you want maybe even putting on certain shooting guards. Like for example, I couldn't imagine him trying to defend Zach. I think that would go quite poorly. And, and maybe that's part of that is just the fact that he's, he hasn't been good at getting over screens in these first two years. But I wonder how much of that is uh, maybe not knowing how to do it as such or not knowing or having worked out or understanding the craft of how to, you know, fight through screens, get over screens, and how much of it is just, you know, physical limitations. Like, we, we like to joke about his, you know, enormous thighs and his big-ass legs, but, like, maybe that is part of the reason for that is just this this dude is more of a 4-5 than he's a, you know, a 4-3 or a 3-4. Like, maybe that's just physically who he is and what he should be focusing on. So, like, I I think that that ability for him to maybe scale up to, to, to center uh, in certain matchups, it's not something he can do all the time and, and maybe it's not something that can work because maybe there's other areas of his game that haven't necessarily come along. Like it, it would, it'd be nice to, to scaling up to five, but like he will need to be rebounding the ball at a significant rate. He would need to be proving that he can be a, a decent rim protector of sorts. So there's a lot of reasons why it may not work, but um, the appeal of it, I guess is um, well, it is obviously very appealing for, for a number of different reasons, but like, uh, yeah, I just I just think what this team needs based on the personnel that it has around it. And look, there's no getting around the fact that Zach, DeMar, and Vooch, I think at, at best are average defensive players when engaged. The, when you're building around three of those players, you need guys to bring defensive play. And I, I just, if you can bring that activity that Javante Green um, showed last time, if you can, you know, even Derek Jones Jr. had showed flashes of being a, a really fine and good uh, rim protecting player, and that's why I wanted him to play more more time at center. To be honest with you, last season. But if 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 Pat can take elements of what Javante and Derek Jones Jr. did um, from power forward defense, and if possible, add some wing defense to his arsenal, then yeah, he'll he'll be the perfect power forward option to play next to someone like Vuce. And I, I just wonder if his development will then make things 
a lot easier for Vooch. And if the, the way we talk about Vucevic as a defensive player, if that changes the, the tenor of that conversation as well. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see what he can do on defense. But nonetheless, the Bulls are expecting a lot more than just him taking steps from a defensive side of things. They obviously want to see him, uh, you know, making leaps on offense. So that's the part where I start to question how much of that is feasible based on where the roster is at at the moment, what the Bulls are trying to achieve, the fact that Patrick's, yes, is in year three, but he's missed so much time. Like, I mean, what are we expecting in terms of next steps for, uh, next steps rather for Pat from an offense, offensive perspective, given that at the moment, at least, he, he hasn't shown to have a, a deep bag of moves. We've talked about the floater that he has and that mid-range jumper that he gets to. He's obviously a very low-volume three-point shooter, but beyond that, there doesn't seem to be much to his offensive game. But is, is that a product of him not having those moves, Will, or is it something that's um, that's there but just hasn't necessarily been released? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Um, you've seen moments during you know, summer league last year where the bulls just gave him the ball and let him go to work. Uh, obviously the Timberwolves game in game 82 this past year, he had 35 um, even in the playoffs. Like it was totally non-competitive in games four and five, but like he played pretty well after having some stinkers to be fair. But um, I mean, it's just very difficult for him to develop the way that I think he needs to, if he's supposed to stand in the corner and shoot threes. And that's kind of what he has been relegated to playing alongside two or three super ball dominant players. When the Bulls drafted him fourth overall, they were expecting a project, right? I mean, there's like an 18, 19 year old who was like a sixth man in college, you know, like he's got awesome physical tools. He's a prototypical four, but like, you know, what, what he excelled at is creation and has, has shown some flashes of that, but like, he's not, the Bulls aren't developing him, to be that player right now. They're developing him to be a three and D four. And I, I think in order for them to take the next step, which we all want them to, he really needs to develop as a shot creator. And so I'm hoping that, you know, there, there are a couple of ways I would like to see him be used differently. And I think one of them is as a screen and roll guy, screen and pop guy. We saw it a little bit, the, the Clippers game, I think one of the last couple of games of the season stands out where he was running, uh, some pick and pops with Demar. He had that left-handed dunk on Isaiah Hartenstein. Um, just giving him opportunities to display his athleticism and his playmaking. He shows some really nice, like live dribble, left-handed passes. I think he could be a really good short roll playmaker. And then obviously, like the athleticism to finish over the top. Um, and then also, you know, if he if he can improve his mobility to be able to stretch it out um, on, on pick and pops. And so I think from a from, you know, I was talking about playing the five. Like, I think that's where he could be really effective is just that versatility to attack the basket in short roll or uh, pop out and shoot threes as a screener, I think would be really interesting. And then I also want to see him just get the ball and be the sort of lead initiator in the second units when DeMar isn't on the floor. Like, give him the ball and see what he can do. The Bulls basically last year lost a year of being able to develop him because... I think the idea was to give him the ball more right at the beginning of the season, but then he breaks his wrist five games in and you can't really like give the ball to a 20 year old with eight games to go in the season. And you're fighting for your playoff lives. Like it just doesn't really work that way. So now fresh start to the season, I think they really need to emphasize giving him the ball and seeing what he can become because he really is like not only the future of the franchise, like he's he and Zach are like the, the core pieces moving forward. Right. 
but he's also like i think the critical piece for the for the present as well like they're they've know what they have in Demar. They know what they have in Vooch and Zach and all these guys. Obviously, health is going to be key, but like I think they kind of go where Patrick is able to take them. And maybe that's fair. Maybe that's not because he's 20, 21 years old and hasn't really developed yet. But like for them to be really good, he needs to be really good. I think that's like cannot be understated. Yeah, and this is the part where I come off as a Patrick hater. And, and to be fair, this is why a lot of people thought I was a Lowry hater too. Like, I, I don't see, like, what's the justification for giving him the ball? And what's the justification for, I, I guess, putting the ball in his hands versus someone else? And, and the reason why this annoys me some is the fact that it comes with the connotation that Billy Donovan, the coaching staff, are just happy with Patrick sitting in the corner and doing nothing. And I, I, that that bothers me because we've seen the template outside of that. We saw when Patrick wasn't playing that someone like Javante who had no plays run for him at all, was still able to find ways to impact the game offensively. So, yes, Patrick maybe doesn't understand how to play that style of basketball. Maybe he's more used to being on ball or maybe that's where he's more suited. But at the same time, when you have Demand, when you have Zach, when you have Lonzo, when you have other options at guard, you're going to have he's going to be playing in the second unit with Goran Drakic, presumably, and in, in assuming he's in that second unit, um, and, and I'm assuming he's going to be playing some minutes in the second unit because he surely won't be getting many on-ball touches in that first unit with DeMar and Zach, and, and he shouldn't be. Um, I don't think, like, why would you give the ball to Patrick in that instance when you've got DeMar and Zach on the court? Like, I, I, that to me doesn't make sense. So assuming you want to get Patrick in those situations where he's on-ball, maybe flashing that ability that he may or may not have, then that has to happen in the second unit. But he's presumably one of Demar or Zach is going to be in that second unit, as as we saw last year. That's when Demar cooked a lot of teams in the second and fourth quarters, the start of those periods. Dragic will be playing, you would assume, um, based on you know the, the reporting around his guaranteed minutes limit. Is he going to be off ball while Patrick is trying to do things on ball? Uh, to me, it just doesn't line up with what the team is trying to achieve where you know, as, as, a, as a team itself and trying to develop Patrick in this into this on-ball threat. Like, I, I don't know if you can do both things more generally, but uh, I, I guess I don't know if he's earned the right to to even do that. And beyond that, like, has he shown us that he's willing or prepared to do that or even able to do that? We're talking to a player who has a, a, minute, a minute usage, like a, a usage percentage that rivals Tony Snell. And that bothers me. And I don't, I don't think that type of play... This, deserve to just get the ball and, and and let's say, all right, we've got to develop this guy. Let's let's take the ball out of Zach's hands. Let's take the ball out of DeMar's hands. Let's give it to Pat Williams and let's see what he can do on ball. Like I, I, at some point you need to go and take the ball. At some point you need to earn that, earn that, earn those possessions. And I don't think he has necessarily done that. And I don't think he needs to do that for him to be an effective player. Like you referenced that game against the Clippers where he was in screen and roll action with DeMar and he, he had some nice moves in there. But in that game, like he also had some brilliant off-ball moves where he was cutting baseline and, and you know, either cutting baseline and finishing at the rim or he was just standing in the corner, understanding when to get to that corner position and launching those threes. Like, I don't think we're questioning Patrick Williams' uh, place in the offense or the fact that he's a low-volume player if he just takes his open threes. Like, he's, he's got a lot of opportunities to score and influence the offense if he just takes the shots that, it, that come to him. But we've seen him... And we've talked about so many times, like him turning down shots that he shouldn't be turning down. Like, so I'm just wondering if he like cleans up those edges or you know roughs out those edges and just finds a way to uh, impact the game off ball, finds a way to just take those open threes when they come. Like, 
to me, like his his natural ability, the way he plays, the way he could play, he could walk into fourteen points without having an on-board role. Like I, I just think he has that natural ability with his athleticism, with that floater we talked about before, the way we're seeing Derek Jones Jr. and Javante get their buckets. Like, why can't Pat do that? Like, why do we have to change everything around him to get him more of the ball, more more reps on ball? Like, uh, to me, that doesn't make sense for a team that's trying to win as many games as possible. And and for that to happen, you need to be following it, funneling the ball through your best your best guys, and that's Demar, that's Zach, and you know, as much as some people hate to hear it, that, that's Vuce on on offense. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear that. And I agree, like Patrick needs to be the best version of himself as a role player. And Billy has said as much. He's challenged him publicly to do that. Um, you know, the last couple of weeks of the season last year, like he absolutely needs to do that. Um, find ways to score within the flow of the offense. But I also think, and I used to fall into this trap a lot of like, the ball needs to be in the best player's hands every possession. Like Demar or Zach need to be facilitating the offense. It needs to be completely heliocentric. They need to have like 40% usage. And as I've like gotten a bit more, so as I've watched like the Warriors a lot more, I, I kind of realized that like th- that's just not true. And I think one, a lot of the problem with it is the way that the Bulls offense just sort of devolved without. Lonzo and without Zach playing at his peak last year was like, we just need to give the ball to Demar because that's the only, not just the best shot we're going to get. It's like the only shot we're going to get. But I think what I'm talking about here is like, let's go from Patrick initiating or running zero pick and rolls a game to five. And let's see how that goes. Or let's go to seven or 10. Um, and maybe some come with the bench. Maybe some come with, you know, Demar and, and Zach on the floor as well. But like, I do think they need to give him the ball and like make it a point to do that because they're just not going to find out if he's capable. And until they do, it's just going to be this mystery. It's going to be this idea of like, Oh, they can't trade Patrick because Patrick has too much potential. Like they need to, at some point realize whether or not that potential, if they're ever going to realize that potential and given his, uh, nature as somebody who I don't think is super aggressive or demanding, I think they do need to sort of manufacture some of those possessions for him. And like I said, it doesn't need to be 30, 40 pick and rolls a night. It needs to be, let's start with five in the second unit. Um, Io Desumu got a ton of pick and roll and granted ton of injuries led to that, but like, let's just put the ball in his hands and see what happens. And if it goes well, great. If it doesn't go well, let's try to figure out why and let's try to improve on it because I think it's really important that he that we know if he can or cannot do that. And right now we just have no idea because he's been standing in the corner and yes, he does need to be more effective when he is standing there, whether that's duck ins or baseline cuts or, you know, attacking closeouts or just shooting threes when he gets the ball. He also, I think is not like that. His default is not to play that way. And so I, I think he's more probably comfortable on the ball, whether it's, in short roll situations, whether it's running pick and rolls himself, like I, I do think they still need to get him the ball and put him in spots because the ones that he's been in haven't really been conducive to player development. Yeah, potentially. And you may be right in that sense. And and this is where I come back to like, are we, is this season about player development? Is it about Patrick Williams developing him as a player? Or is it about you know winning basketball games and doing what's best for the team? Can you do both? I, I, I question that. 
Uh, and to, I it, think it, you can afford five pick and rolls a game, you know, like they yeah, don't, this is what I'm saying. Like you don't need to have, first of all, DeMar doesn't play 48 minutes a game. No, no. Secondly, it's like, DeMar, then Zach's on the court. Yeah. But like those guys completely ran out of gas last season. And we're not like in a situation where the bulls are grandfathered into the playoffs, right? Like they absolutely need to make the playoffs and not the play in. Like they need mm. to, to actually make it there. So they can't just like coast, but those guys also cannot play 38. Like I was playing 38 minutes a game this year. That's insane. And injuries were brutal. And with Lonzo and hopefully Caruso and Zach not experiencing anything long-term or lingering, they still need to not only like turn down the minutes, but just the the burden on those guys so that when the playoffs come around, they're not just completely out of gas. And so I do think you can sprinkle in some pick and rolls here and there, but to your point, like <laughs> this is not a team that's just like a, a top four seed lock, you know, like they do need to make the playoffs and they need to, to take that seriously. But I do think there's a little bit of room for both. Yeah, I mean, look, I could rant about this for hours, but look, I, I need to tell people about um, our next sponsor, Foco. So uh, maybe we'll continue this conversation next, Will. But uh, I'll let, as I said, let's let's tell the people about Foco. Chicago sports fans, you're, you're listening to this podcast, obviously. You need to be uh, teaming up with Foco to secure your access to the best collectibles and gear around, whether it's the Bears, Cubs, White Sox, Blackhawks, and, of course, your Bulls. Foco will have something for you, your kid, a friend, a loved one, whoever it may be. If you need to get yourself a gift, if it needs to be sports-themed in particular, head over to Foco. If you're looking to get some new gear, collectibles, or accessories, Foco has officially licensed gear for men, women, and kids with everything from bobbleheads to to everything, literally everything, anything that's Bulls related, Black Hawks, White Sox, whoever it may be, head over to Foco. Foco has got you covered with the best Chicago sports merchandise for all of your favorite teams. Head on over to Foco.com or click the link within this description of the podcast for all non-presale items. Use promo code CHGO for 10% off. William, that's that's a fantastic offer. I mean, are you able to get some of these Foco products down to Brazil? I don't know. I have to I have to see if they mail order to South America. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay, going to have to check in and see if they can uh, mail down to Australia. That's probably a little bit more typical, but uh, I need to get me some some um, my hands on some bulls some some new bulls merch going forward. But having yeah, I won't. I was about to rant about the runs off to them, but I won't. But for anyone that doesn't necessarily care about lining the owner's <laughs> pockets, I definitely uh, I definitely suggest heading over to Foco. Use that promo code CHGO for ten percent off all non presale items. All right, let's get back to Pat. Uh, what were we talking about? Like, yeah, I, to me, like, I, I hear you on getting him, you know, extra touches, five pick and rolls. It doesn't seem like a lot, but to me, it still does. And I, I just, I just question, you know, why, why we should be giving the ball to him if he's not prepared to go and grab the ball. And I, this was the same conversation, that, and the same thing that bugged me with Larry Markin on. It was the same. It was the same conversation. Like, why isn't the why isn't Boylan or Hoiberg getting the ball to to market him more? Why isn't the Bulls guards getting the ball to market him more? At the same time, like if a player themselves is too, I guess, too willing to just settle into being a role guy, too willing to let the other guys around them do their thing, like then why does that player deserve more on on ball reps? I guess like that's 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 the part that I get stuck on. Like, why does this player deserve to have more of an opportunity when they're not necessarily putting them themselves out there to suggest I want the ball, I want to do this? Whereas someone like Io, for example, and everyone knows I was the biggest the biggest Io fan coming into the draft, but. 
what quickly proved me proved me wrong and what quickly won me over from an IO perspective is I never had to question his intent on the on the game. You mentioned before, like IO had opportunities to run, pick and roll. He had opportunities to do things on ball, but part of that was because one, he's a guard, and naturally it's you know it's part of his role. But more generally, like he wanted to do that stuff. I never have to question whether he was willing or. Uh, I, I guess we could question the capability, but like I didn't, I never had to question whether he wanted to or he was willing to do so. Whereas something that's what we continuously have to talk about with Pat, like is he aggressive enough? Like that's the thing that we keep coming back to. And part of that conversation is, you know, one getting up shot volume, but two wanting to have a, an imprint with the offense. And like I said before, Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., like these are far lesser players than Patrick Williams, who have significantly less talent, but they still found a way to to make themselves effective on offense as limited role guys. So like, what could someone pat, like Pat do in, in a lesser role? Like that's, that's just something I get stuck on. And, and uh, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm wrong in this in, instance, but I, I just can't get past that, that aspect of it all, I guess. To me, the reason why they do that Mark is because like their future depends on it. And I think you're, you're basically, I mean, they're a playoff team at best, right? Like they got completely smacked in the first round. Most non-competitive playoff series I can remember watching. They're not going to win the championship this year unless things break incredibly right for them. But I think the idea is you develop this group into something that is like a legitimate NBA team and program. And you train Zach and Damar, or you train Zach and Patrick under sort of the tutelage of Damar and allow these guys to start to pick things up that they can take forward beyond the Damar season, um, D- Damar's contract with the Bulls. So yeah, yeah, to me, like it's it's bigger than just this year. And basically, like the Bulls have shipped out future picks. They've shipped out all of their prospects. Patrick is their one guy. He's their one chance to become like a star to develop a star within. And I'm not sure he ever will, because to your point, like he's just not aggressive enough. I mean, he, I don't think I would like it if he came in with like Dion waiters mentality, but um, I also can, can, think can he, he have higher mentality. Like he doesn't yeah, have to could, be enough. Could he even have <laughs> exactly, exactly. Could he just have IO mentality and just step to the moment and not have to like be told to be aggressive by the coaching staff? Like that's insane. Um, so I do think they just kind of need to to coddle him a little bit until he's ready and has some confidence because he is the future. I mean, he's the he's their he's their one chance. And so I do think it's really important whether it's for this year or not, like whether whether or not they become a championship team, I think is dependent on Patrick this year. I just do. And I, I don't think that's fair because he hasn't really shown anything. And we can talk about like what's reasonable to expect from him, but like mm-hmm the way to becoming a championship team is to have like a top five, 10 player to have the best player on the court at any time to be super deep and have big wings who can defend and score at a high level. And like Patrick Williams is the, the only one that checks all his boxes if things break perfectly right. And you're just never going to know. Uh, and it's probably never going to happen unless you sort of force feed him possessions because he isn't that kind of guy. He, he has not shown to have that mentality. And I think he may have developed some of that more this year. I can imagine how five games into a season, you lose 65 games and then you come back and have to like play Giannis in the playoffs. Like that could be a little bit rattling. So this year is huge for him. Year three is huge for a lot of players developmentally, but 
I just think it's so important that they really truly find out what he can do and understand what kind of player he's going to become because he is the future of the franchise along with Zach. So I, I don't necessarily disagree with anything you've noted there, but I, can, I come back to like, what is the, what is the team trying to achieve here? Like they're, they're trying to straddle two things. And you mentioned before that this team isn't grandfathered into the playoffs. They're not all locked for the playoffs. Um, they're potentially a team that may be fighting for, you know, at least last season, they just scraped into the playoffs. They just missed the plane. Like there's a chance that that happens again, or maybe they are one of those teams in, you know, that seven to 10 range. Who, who knows? A lot of it's, you know, dependent on a lot, so many things, health being one of them as we've come to learn. But like, because they are like where they are in that sense, they're not a bona fide playoff team. Like you can make the opposite argument that now is not the time for development. Now's the time to really lean onto those guys that you know can play and, you know, really lean into your Demars, your Lonzos, your, your Levines, Vuches, Carusos, et cetera, because you, you're more confident in them being sure bets, I suppose. So I, I guess... I guess the the reverse is true as well. I completely understand what you're saying in terms of you need to know what Pat is. You need to get him ball. You need to get him on ball reps. You need to understand what he can or can't beat for a number of reasons. If if for no other reason to understand like whether he's someone that you should be bringing back on his next contract. This is year three. He's, he'll be extension eligible at, at that point. Obviously, the balls will most likely tender uh, an offer for him in year four. But beyond that, they need to start planning on, you know, is Patrick someone that we want here beyond his rookie rookie contract? And if so, what does that rookie contract look like? So everything you're saying makes sense to me, but it just I just wonder how you balance that with what they're trying to achieve. And I, I definitely get your think- point around that he he maybe raises the ceiling of the team, but the, the counter to that is if you go too much into that development phase, then are you impacting the, the floor of the team? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is like I, I think a better way to describe that is that he is like the true ceiling raiser uh, mm. whereas like a damar is the the floor raiser of the group like you know you're gonna reach a certain level of play just because damar is out there and because of how good he is when he's playing at his best um lonzo i think is another good example of you know being that ceiling raiser guy where it's like you can be a fine team without him but like the way that he defends the way that he changes sort of the DNA of the roster as far as getting out in transition, shooting a bunch of threes and just being like a complete freak show on defense. Um, I think Patrick really has, I don't know if he has the potential to be that kind of ceiling raiser. Um, And this is not hating on Patrick. Like I think he, I've always been super high on him. I like him a lot as a player, but I also want to be reasonable in what we expect out of him. Like everybody was quick to throw out the Kawhi comparisons Obviously, I think that would be like 105th percentile outcome, like best case scenario, which is probably not going to happen. But they do need to figure out how good he can be because otherwise you're just kind of like playing to be a first round out again, in my opinion. And I think it also kind of goes back to what we talked about at the end last week of me just having a more aggressive mindset about these things in general, whether it's Mm -hmm. trades or, you know, swinging for the fences with draft picks or like developing players to see if they can become stars. Like, I think I just think it's critical for, for the bulls to, to figure out not only what they have in Patrick, but I think because he could be like this whole idea of continuity and bringing back the core, like that only works if somehow they get better. And for me, Patrick Williams is like the only real player that I could see being better than he was last year. 
Like Demar, I don't see how he improves on what he did. That's just that would be insane. Vucevic, maybe, but like maybe 2020 when he shot 40 percent on threes was the outlier. Like he he's been like a 34, 35 percent three point shooter the rest of his career. Uh, Lonzo, as much as I love him, and everybody knows that I'm like the biggest Lonzo stan out there. Like I think he probably would not have finished the season shooting 43 percent on eight threes per game if he had played. 75 games i just don't think he would have maintained that level of play same with caruso like he it's just impossible for a guy like that to defend for 30 minutes a night the way that he does and zach maybe you could you could factor in some internal growth maybe io as well but like to me patrick is that one chance that you have to really fundamentally improve the trajectory of your team from an internal space and yeah i just i don't see how they can do that with trades unless they include Patrick I don't see how you know having shipped out two future picks and and hopefully drafting in the teens or 20s now like I don't see how you can find that player in the draft so it, it just kind of has to be Patrick yes I agree and and coming back to like reasonable expectations but like to me if he could be like a supercharged Javante Green which I think is beyond reasonable I think that's like if you could do what Javante does on offense find a way to impact the offense without having to, you know, migrate too far from, you know, getting the ball to more accomplished guys who will probably have a, a greater chance of you, you know, winning games or so. Like, I, I guess to come back to our ideals, like you're more, you're more chasing the the ceiling stuff, the the blue sky stuff, whereas I'm concerned about the floor. And, and it comes back to what, what you just said before about you being more aggressive of nature, whereas uh, I'm more conservative in these sorts of things. And that was, part of our conversation last week so that that those themes that mindset continues into this Patrick uh, Williams conversation here but like to me before like we even think about him becoming a star like if he could just be a supercharged role player like a Javante who cuts off ball when he's standing in the corner recognizes that you know DeMar might be on the other uh the opposite side of the court working in the mid-range if you know and you can see your man start to hedge in Move off ball, cut baseline. You're going to get buckets that way. You're, you've got the ability to be a good offensive rebounder. Get on the glass. Let's get some points that way. If you don't cut, take those threes when they are presented. Don't turn them down and don't go into that patented, uh, you know, mid-range shot or that floater we talked about. Yes, yes, yes. It's nice to have that as part of your game, but ideally, if you get that open three, take it. Like if he does those minimum things whilst improving defensively, as we talked about before, and he becomes even just like a, an extremely good role player in year three, like to me that changes the Bulls' like sphere as to where they could go, like let alone him becoming a star. I don't, I don't think Pat needs to be a star in year three for this Bulls team to take a bit of a leap in this, this yeah, upcoming for, season. Like if you just a got really a realistic good... option at power forward, like, like a supercharged Javante, let's just call it that for a lack of, of a better term. Like if he could just be that, I think it really changes the trajectory of this Bulls team, let alone him having to be a star. Yeah, that's I think that's a really important point. And when I talk about Patrick sort of reaching his peak, I mean, this is literally reaching his peak as like a 27, 28 year old. I'm thinking down the line, but you need to set him on that trajectory. And so for me, if he can become that sort of role player this year, I think that would be amazing. But I also think that you that you need to factor in some some of those pick and rolls, some of those uh, possessions as a screener. Because it, it does need to be both, in my opinion. Like, and I think maybe when, you know, 
rubber meets the road or whatever the cliche is when like the playoffs are coming down or when games are important. Like, yeah, maybe you're not putting the ball in Patrick's hands. Maybe you are involving him in some actions because he is a matchup difficulty for, for potentially a lot of bigs or a lot of players out there. Um, but I, I do think like the key moments this year are going to be him finding ways to affect the game while he doesn't have the ball. But I, I think that's going to really benefit him down the road and all of it, I think, comes down to his mentality and his understanding of the game. And I think that that affects his play on both ends. I think it affects his play on and off the ball. Like he needs to he absolutely needs to just like be somebody that goes out there and grabs possessions and like takes like aggressive ownership over every opportunity that he has, because he just hasn't done that in the in this past year. And the first year was kind of a wash because the team was just kind of a mess um and they hadn't really like picked an identity yet but like this is this is now his chance he's been doing his demar workouts at 4 a.m trying to you know develop his game trying to become a more complete offensive player like this is this is now no more excuses time for pat and i think it starts absolutely starts with that sort of role player supercharged Devonte style play that's where it, that's like baseline for me is what he needs to get mm-hmm. to this year. And mm-hmm. I think that would be a huge disappointment for him to not do that. But then on top of it, I think you also need to start sort of factoring in, well, is there a chance that he could become sort of a third member of a big three? Is there a chance that he can sort of initiate some of his own offense and create plays um, both for himself and others? Because they kind of just like teams need multiple guys like that. And I don't think you can rely on DeMar mid-range jumpers against the Bucks or against the Heat or against the Sixers in a playoff series. Like you just that's why that's why the Bulls went one and seventeen against the top four teams. Like they just they're not built to compete against those guys. And maybe that's okay. I think that's probably fine for where the franchise wants to be at this point. But I think down the road, and even this year to a certain extent, like they need to they need to get more out of Patrick uh, as a creator, but also like one thousand percent as a role player and as a fourth or fifth starter. Um, so that that's baseline for me. That's default, and anything else that you can get, I think you you absolutely need to juice as much out of him as you can. Yeah, look, if if he can if he can control what he can control and get the you know even ninetieth percentile of those things. Um, then we're talking about a guy that can be an extremely effective role player, an OG and an OB type of player. Um, it's not a direct crap comparison given that OG has more on-ball um, and guard-like defensive ability. But you know what I'm talking about, like a, a supercharged role player who every team would love to have. Um, to me, that's completely reasonable. Uh, I think that's possible. That's what I'm expecting. That's what I'm hoping for. And if Patrick can do those things that he can control, whether it's on ball or off ball, particularly off ball on both sides, then he can be a very good player in this upcoming season. And that's what I'm hoping for. And that's what makes him an extremely fascinating uh, player going forward into the into next season. And that's what made this conversation here, William. Um, at least I can toot my own horn and say this was a fascinating conversation. Hopefully the listeners agree. But uh, maybe we call it here because you, I'm sure you and I could bang on about Patrick Williams for another you know, 15 hours, but um, it is late your time. So maybe let's end the podcast here. But before we go, maybe you can give one last plug about the uh, the column that you wrote up there on the website, LCHDO, about Patrick and his uh, unique floater. Yeah, you said it. Um, up on the site today, Wednesday, uh, about Patrick Williams' funky one-headed shot. And I do think 
I kind of tried to spin it forward a little bit and think about what that means for him as a playmaker and just trying to keep in perspective, like what, what he is right now and what that means for, for next year. And I'll, I'll be writing more about that uh, in the coming weeks, but like, this is a guy who averaged nine points per game. who's never had a usage above 15. Like, I think we need to, to sort of rein it in and I'm thinking more theoretically and best case scenario, but I do think a lot, you know, obviously I wouldn't have said it if I didn't think it was true or didn't think it was important, but just to keep in mind and keep in perspective, sort of the context that he comes with. Um, but super interesting player with a super unique and important skill set and some funky looking one handed jumpers. Yeah, for sure. And obviously go up on the website, read that, follow Will on Twitter at won't got leave. Whenever he drops a story, obviously he'll be dropping on Twitter. So be making sure to follow William already. If you're not, what what the hell would you not be? Also, if for whatever reason you want to follow me, which is probably probably not a great idea, but in the event you'd want to, at MK Hoops, I'll try to keep my um negative Patrick Williams tweets to a minimum this season. And if you can be a supercharged Javante, do you know who's going to be a massive Patrick Williams fan this season, William? It will be me. It will be me. So I'm, I'm hoping that is the case. But I uh, appreciate everyone for tuning in to CHGO Bulls. The guys will be back next week at the usual time. So be on the lookout for that on YouTube, in your audio platforms, whatever it may be. Wherever you get the podcast, we'll catch you all then. But appreciate you guys tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Thanks.